Good morning on this Monday morning. Welcome to our devotional, Golden Nuggets, Food for Thought and for the Imagination. If you joined us yesterday, we had been talking in the book of Galatians and giving an example or explaining uh, things that are obscured. How the scripture calls the devil or Satan. And depending if you're using the word Satan or devil, of course it has a, a different meaning, a different description of him. But the scripture does call him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, calls him the God of this age and uh, or the God of this world. But the wor- word world there is the word for age. He has, he has an age in which he has been ruling mankind. There is a time period that is set. And every age comes to an end, except that of the rule of Christ. He is going to reign from age to age, and basically ages without end. He's going to rule forever and ever and ever and ever. But man, on the other hand, he has lived through many different ages from the very beginning. When he was created, he fell and sometimes, depending on on the theologians or the authors, uh, they can be called dispensations. That means a period of time of something. Uh, the dispensation of innocency. Adam and Eve were innocent before they fell for a certain amount of time. Then after that, they had the, the age of conscience, where the conscience was, was ruling them. And then after that, of course, they had the... The end of the age, uh, by the time we get to Noah, there's the flood, everything is destroyed, and then uh, human government is going to be developed at another point, and then we have the age of the prophets. Then we have the age uh, uh, when Jesus came, that time frame, the fullness of time, the time of Gentiles, and he was born of a woman, and uh, of course, you know, he brought forth his message, uh, was crucified, was buried, resurrected, and then what has been called or known as the age of the Holy Spirit, the age of the church, the apostolic age, of course, that started. So the point is, there are time periods that start and end for man. And the scripture is very clear in the book of Hebrews, in chapter number 11, in verse 4, we're starting from verse 2 onward, when it talks about uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we understand that by it, the worlds were created. The word, therefore, worlds is also the word ages. In other words, when God created the heavens and the earth, he put in there the time limit when each age would end and when each age would begin. Well, in that whole time frame, Satan, the god of this world, the devil, the evil one, he has blinded the minds of them which believe not the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, in whom the god of this age, so he is the ruling factor for fallen man 
and he is the one that is against the body of Christ, the church, he is ruling for a certain period of time, calling it the age. But also, it's not only the time span for which he is ruling. The scripture also calls him the prince of this world. The word there is cosmos versus the word aeon, which is the word age. So when the scripture says uh, the world, we have to understand, okay, is it talking about aeon, a period of time? Or whether it's talking about the cosmos, the social order that exists. Well, the scripture identifies Satan as ruling in both. He rules in the social order of man, but he's also ruling for a certain period of time. And as I mentioned yesterday, Jesus very clearly outlined in his parable of the sower sows a seed, um, the wicked one came and he sowed, and the seed and the tares grew together. But it says at the end of the age, the angels come and reap the harvest. So that means that the age for Satan is going to come at the end of the harvest. The harvest, uh, which... Uh, basically, Jesus is called the Lord of the harvest, and we are to preach this gospel, and then the end will come. The end of the age will come for him to rule as he has ruled. But at the same time, uh, the 1,000-year reign of Christ here on earth after the tribulation has been called the Messianic Age, that for a 1,000 years we, the church, the body of Christ, when we come back from heaven, we'll rule with him here on this earth. We will be the government of this earth. Jesus will sit on his throne. And Satan will have been expelled and bound and put in the abyss, in the pit, for a thousand years. So he knows if he can prevent the harvest, the preaching of the gospel, therefore, the age cannot come to an end. End. That's why it says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. If he can cause an individual to stay in unbelief, then the light of the glorious gospel of Christ cannot shine. And that light is the image of God that shines on them. The image of God. Christ is the manifestation of the image of God here on earth. Man was the manifestation of the image of God here on earth up until he fell. But Christ being born of a woman brought back the image of God and that image he manifested in his physical body by his actions, by his works. So consider this very carefully. The more the gospel is preached, the quicker it is preached, the quicker the age will come to an end. So that is important. That's why when Jesus taught in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, I believe it's verse 14, he said, this is when the end is going to come, when the apostles asked him or the disciples, when this gospel is preached, 
Therefore pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send in forth labors. Because the God of this world has blinded their minds and the only thing that can open up that blindness is the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel is your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. And it is God in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse uh, 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, And God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has also commanded that light to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, when we think about looking into the face of Jesus, we are looking into a mirror. We are looking into his word. His word describes Jesus both then and now and even in the future. That means we're given the revelation of Jesus in the book of John. The apostles, uh, John and, and all the others that walked with Jesus and saw Jesus, they said, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. And of course, there were others that bore witness like Simon and Anna when Jesus was a, a, a baby and they were there at the temple. So there's always someone that bears witness to the light. They bear witness to the light while God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. And the more brightly he shines in our hearts on a daily basis, the more the darkness is dispelled. The more the darkness is dispelled, the clearer we see the face of Jesus. And by that, I mean we see the work. When we look at the face of Jesus, we see that God is love. We see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we see the face of Jesus, we see the mercy of God. We see the long-suffering of God. We see the goodness of God. When we see the face of Jesus, we are looking into that mirror, the Word of God, and we are being changed according to 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3. In verse 18, we are being changed from glory to glory, from one level of glory to another level of glory. Remember, the light gives the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus. The light gives us the knowledge. So the greater the light, the greater the glory, the greater the dispelling of the darkness, the greater our understanding and view of the cross and the work of Christ on that cross in the life of the believer. Now I've said all that so that I can read Galatians 3.1 because if the enemy can come and obscure, if he can bring darkness back in, if he can cloud our minds, make them spiritually foggy, then to us will happen to what happened to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes 
Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So what is it that Satan wants to obscure? What is it that he had done to the Galatian church that was so dangerous? They had been bewitched, literally bewitched. In other words, that fog had been introduced before their eyes and their mind so that their spiritual vision and their understanding was clouded. Now, as you look at that, you have to stop and consider. When it says that you should not obey, then that means you disobey the truth. And one of the things that we can learn about disobedience, if we go to the book of 1 Samuel 15, in verse 23, we are told that witchcraft is like rebellion, or rebellion is like witchcraft. And idolatry and uh, stubbornness like iniquity, the sin of idolatry. Now, when you look at that, that is within the context of Saul. This is not Saul, Paul, the preacher. This is Saul, the king of uh, Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, of course, uh, Paul was also of the tribe of Benjamin, but I'm, I'm trying to make a distinction here. Saul had been told by the prophet Samuel to do certain things that God had literally spoken. God had given his rhema out to him. And he, he got impatient. He could not wait. So he took it upon himself to disobey and to do something. His judgment was clouded, assuming, hey, I'm, I'm not called to be a prophet or a priest, but I can offer a sacrifice to God. I can bring this and I can do that. And he assumed he assumed by the cloudedness of his understanding and his vision spiritually. He assumed that he could do a certain thing and that he would be obedient to God in doing it. But in reality, because there had been an obscuredness to his sight and understanding of what truth was, instead of obeying it, he disobeyed it. And the result of that disobedience was called witchcraft. It was called rebellion. It was called idolatry. It was called stubbornness. Each and every one of these things had a purpose as to explaining to us what happens to the Galatian church. They were literally bewitched. Something obscured the cross. They no longer were able to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus, now as the resurrected Lord and the work that he had done on the cross for us. What it did, what it's doing, and what it will yet do for us. It was obscured. And because it was obscured, therefore, it doesn't say that they were evil uh, people, but it just simply says they were bewitched. And once you do not obey the work of the cross, then you are independent of that work of the cross. And the law is what now kicks in. And we try to, by self-effort, that's idolatry, by our own stubbornness, meet God's demands of righteousness 
by trying to do it our way instead of Christ's way for us. Well, we run out of time. Consider this food for thought and for the imagination. We'll pick up here tomorrow with the Lord's help on Tuesday. Join us then, but until then, keep looking up. Our Redeemer and redemption draweth nigh. The Lord richly and fully bless you in the most powerful name on this world. The name of Jesus. Amen.